perfectionism is just a form of anxiety. You have issues, Nina! You gotta talk to Tess! <laughs> yep. I don't remember that at all. I'm dreaming, I'm dreaming, I'm dreaming, oh, I believe in this dream I've been dreaming, oh, I'm dreaming, I'm dreaming, I'm dreaming, oh, I believe in this dream I've been dreaming, oh. So, welcome everybody. This is uh, the legendary Tess, who is sitting in and, and telling me everything that's wrong with me as a human. <laughs> <laughs> and how I can get 10 million subscribers on my YouTube channel. We had some technical issues, so I'm filming off my phone now, and, and hopefully it's all sorted. Um, Tess, do you want to do a quick like recap yeah, of what's happened, yeah, yeah. my homework, and, and what you think of me, I guess, so far? <laughs> Evan, so last time we were talking about vulnerability, and we were talking about, um, we really got into this story that goes right back to your young childhood about feeling and that weirdness and embracing that weirdness. And, and obviously out of that came a story that you didn't really know much about, which was having seen a psychologist as a kid, your homework was to ask your parents about that, figure out what that was about. For people watching, before we dive in, so I got the letter back to my parents that we're, we're, gonna, we're gonna get into, uh, why is this important? So I mean, this, this series is about helping me hit 10 million subscribers, you know, big scary, goal of mine. Why is diving into my childhood and getting a letter from my mom as to why I had to go see a child psychologist? Connect the dots. Why is that important? The very first conversation we had was all about, you know, identifying any blocks to you going the next level in what you're doing. And, and yeah, that's the stuff I do. You know, I'm a psychologist. I'm not here providing therapy for you, but I'm helping you, I guess, identify some of those blocks. And we need to explore um, other examples of where you've overcome barriers or where you've drawn on unexpected strength to be able to do that in the past. So sometimes that evidence that we unpack from the past uh, might be something that you've overlooked in yourself or it might be something that you've taken for granted and that can then feed into the strengths you need now. You, you also said last time something about um, being the introvert who has to get comfortable with being famous. So I think that you know again that thread of being the kid who felt like a like a weird kid these things they all feed into you know we're, we're like mirror balls we've got all sorts of facets that make up who we are and some of those are linked obviously to our childhoods and then others are things that we pick up across the course of our lifespan lessons that we learn skills that we develop people that influence us and so on all right so we ready to dive in i'd love to dive in Quick recap, I had to go see a child psychologist when I was young. I remember going to see the child psychologist. I remember looking at ink blots and playing some board games uh, and, and having a great, great time with this person. And then I remember the recommendation being take Evan out of that school and put him in a different school. But I don't know why I had to go see a child psychologist. So my homework was to find out why. I wrote to my parents that evening and um, it, it, it took my mom a little bit of time to come back and give me a letter, but she wrote like a giant word document full of explanation. So I'm going to try to summarize as well as to be respectful to her. And obviously this, this is public. So yeah, for sure. we'll try to pull the important information. If you, if you want to dive deeper on something, you can let me know. But so they, they had lost uh, a boy before having me. And we're, we're considering, like, it wasn't an easy pregnancy. Uh, I was in danger of being born too early. 
my mom had to be hospitalized for two weeks and wasn't, wasn't allowed to get out of her bed for the next three months and being at home because I might be born prematurely or, or aborted. Um, and my older, I mean, I never met my older, he died on, on uh, basically stillborn or lasted a week. I don't know the full mm-hmm. story, but so they were worried about me not making it because they had uh, an issue with an older, I have an older sister who was fine, but then, um, so that was kind of the backstory. It's a very sad story. Yeah, but if if he was born, I wouldn't have been born, right? So I mean, it's great. I'm here. Uh, his your, his name your was brother's be gift to you. Exactly <laughs> right. Here I am. Him. Boom. Right. I, it, I think it was a year. Uh, uh, so they wouldn't have had me if if mm. if he was born. I I totally forgot about that. So they pri- they're talking about they prioritize education, uh, and my parents did like. You know, we were a middle class family, um, but my parents spent all of their extra money on on private schools and really wanted to make sure that we got the best education possible. My mom had, you know, PhDs and they really valued school. So uh, we got sent to expensive schools, but didn't have a lot of money because all the money went into education. Every year they evaluated how we were doing in school and seen where we should be. She's saying before I went to school, it was clear I had a mind of my own. Uh, I didn't, I didn't learn to walk. I was a slow walker, but then mm-hmm. I got up and ran. Mm-hmm. So I didn't learn until I was 19 months to walk. I crawled until I was 19 months, and then I stood up and ran. <laughs> and so I think there's a business I I analogy would, there. <laughs> there's some, there's some weirdness there, I guess. <laughs> no business uh, analogy. I can see that you just get up and fly. Bye. <laughs> Get up and go. Uh, okay, so now to the school. So I was enrolled in a Montessori. They did a lot of research to figure out what what type of school uh, I should go to. Apparently, Montessori has a different kind of curriculum than a normal school. Yep. Um, it's supposed to be tailored to the individual child and more cooperative in nature, why they picked it. I started at three. I did well the first year, but it was clear by the second year that I was having issues uh, I started having a hearing problem. I, like I had ear tubes. I wasn't, mm-hmm. I didn't hear well as a kid. And, um, so I had hearing problems growing up. Uh, so I wasn't developing as fast as the other kids because it was fluid in my ears that required the surgery and then monitoring. I had a ton of ear infections yeah. and stuff growing up too. They told the school to make sure that I was aware that they were aware of it so that they could tailor the teaching towards me. But they found out at a parent teacher meeting that their advice was ignored and that mm-hmm. I was spending a, a good chunk of my time just sitting under a desk and not participating in mm-hmm. class. Yep. I don't remember that at all, but so I was sitting under the table and not participating in the class. They were furious. They felt that the Montessori creed had been violated and we realized that it was more than a hearing problem. They felt like I was likely not stimulated enough, uh, causing me to be bored, a trait that was becoming more and more clear. Uh, So I guess that combination of me being bored and me having hearing problems. I don't remember any of it. I mean, I kind of remember maybe a little bit, but I don't remember a negative experience at all from that first school. But saying that, I, I... kind of remember being under a table. So my sisters stayed at the school and they went to find a different option for me. 
found me into a different school that had a good enrichment program. I'd been good at French in Montessori, and they thought that that combination at the new school would be good for me. Yeah. Uh, um, they said I was a good student there, but I felt I wasn't being stimulated enough. The only complaint they had at school was about the art teacher, which we talked about. They said that I also didn't seem to be good at making any friends there. Uh, they understood that once again, the school, despite its good reputation, was not suited for your needs. And I was in fact bored there. So my parents value education a lot. It was, it was seen as the path out, you know, my mom immigrant and, and education was the way out and she got a PhD and all that stuff. So, so I could see they're like, they're stressed out at this point that none of these schools seem to be helping me. Um, so they wanted to find a school that would suit and encourage what they thought were my considerable talents. Uh, because I was good at French, they put me in another, in an all French school now. Um, yeah. I passed their, their exams. And you lived in an area of Canada where there's a lot of native French speaking? No, no. no. In, in my province, people don't speak French. I mean, you <laughs> learn it. You have to learn it growing up, but most people drop it as soon as possible. It sounds like they put me in the French school because I was good at French and mm. thought that. that now, this, this school I remember I didn't like. But you spent three quarters of the day in French. So you learn math in French and you learn history in French. You just learn English in English, basically. Mm -hmm. um, and maybe writing, I think, was in English. But you learn science and everything else in French. They focus on a baccalaureate education worthy of a yep. Sorbonne in Paris. Wow. <laughs> no pressure. Yeah, wow. Back, you can count on my mom for like amazing language, right? It's, it's awesome. Not appropriate for an eight-year-old. So I get so I'm eight at this point. So it's three in, in in Montessori, four. I I was there but had trouble. So then five, six, seven, I was at the other school. And then eight, I came here. So three years at that school. Yeah. I don't remember that at all. Okay. We no. began to notice serious changes in you. Uh, I was a happy child, adventurous and curious. Now I was becoming more withdrawn and developing nerve, nervous movements. That's true. I started to get some nervous tics. I still have some, like I'll twitch my ear a little bit. Um, but, I, but it was really bad when I was there. Mm -hmm. Like I had to, all sorts of stuff. Like I couldn't step on lines or I kept count of certain things yeah. and lots of different nervous tics that, um, that I happened. Yeah. I did like weird facial tics and stuff. But I, even when I'm thinking, like even now when I'm thinking, my ears twitch a little bit. Um, but it was really bad back then at that school. Talking to me helped a little bit, but it wasn't a solution. They contacted my doctor and they said that they should see a, a, a psychologist, child psychologist. So I guess that's why, like the tics, mm -hmm. um, being withdrawn, they said, okay, go see a child psychologist. I just want to jump in for a second because, I mean, we talked, this all came up last time because we were talking about you feeling weird as a kid. and. Mm -hmm. And, you know, we're getting a real flavor of that. You know, this little boy who was really anxious and, you know, a number of changes in schooling and for good reasons, of course, but they still need to be accommodated. As a kid, you've got to tolerate those changes and roll with those changes. And all of a sudden now you're in a French-speaking school and highly anxious. Mm. Poor Evan, <laughs> you know, I just oh, feel all this empathy for you as a little little kid you know that that was obviously a really tough time and you don't have a lot of memory of this tough time you've got little vague memories of it by the sound of it i i barely remember sitting under the table like one day at that school um 
at the second school, I remember I, I made my own little group of friends and we would, we would run relay races and stuff, just four or six of us. Um, at the, at the third school, the French one, I remember creating like these, uh, imaginary robots that would fight with, with the robots of my friends and we'd have to create our own robots. So I just kept making like these little cliques, these little yep. groups of people that I was usually the leader of, and we did, we did our own little activities that I would come up with ideas for, and then we would just do them. So like yeah. draw your robot and, and how much power does this robot have and what are their special abilities and if they fought each other, like who would win and why and, and that kind of stuff. I like that you've got these really fleshed out play memories, like that, okay. that playfulness and the imagination and the imaginativeness and the leadership, like you're okay. a leader. It, so even though you had all this stuff going on and socially, you know, I think a lot of people expect that we should, as kids, have lots and lots and lots of friends. But actually, it's much. It's what would be more worrying is if you didn't have at least a small group of friends, because those rich friendships are what nurture you and carry you through difficult times. So, what happened after you saw the psychologist? Then, yeah, I mean, you went to the psychologist because you're anxious. And thinking the friends too, though, like I can't even name or or picture any of them. Mm. Like if I think about high school. School, then or even even my next school that I came to after this French one then I can start to remember people but I couldn't even though I had friends I remember what we did I couldn't if you showed me their picture I wouldn't even know who they were yeah so there's okay. nobody's like memorable or I just blocked them out I don't know okay so I met the psychologist uh, the first question she asked us was what school I was a part of she was very against that French school uh, she's had a couple of patients come from that school. Her recommendations were leave the school at the end of the year and attend an all boys school. Uh, she felt that with two sisters who had different experiences in the education system and so many strong willed females in the house, I'd be better in an environment where I could be with all boys and not be in competition with us. Uh, my mom is definitely like the, the ambitious, change the world, driving strong woman kind of person. So, mm -hmm. so the latter part was hard for us to hear, but we understood the wisdom of the advice and we we're willing to try. So then I went to an all boys school and both my sisters went to all girls schools. Um, yeah. And they were, they were private schools. So leave the mm -hmm. school and go to an all boys school because I had too many strong women around me. <laughs> Basically. All right. And then, and mm -hmm. that's how I ended up at my, my last school. And I stayed there from grade five and all, all through high school. So it's a elementary to high school. I don't know what the Australian yeah. school system yeah. is. But, uh, yeah, some of the private schools here are the same. You go all the way through. So I ended up at my last school. They said I flourished there. They gave me great education. They, they understood uh, the flexibility. Oh, like, so they said an example, I used to get headaches. And so they allowed me to eat popcorn in the class because it helped my headaches. Yeah. Uh, I remember that. Yeah, I used to get bad headaches there. Mm -hmm. They promoted my idea of student elections. Oh, yeah, when, when there was an election in Canada, my mom got into politics, so I, I then wanted to hold student elections and say, who would you vote mm -hmm. for? Which, yeah. which prime minister would you vote for? And they let me run the school election and cast votes. Cool. Cool. I forgot about that. Uh, cool. I was involved in things like sports and the investment club. Um, I graduated among the top marks in, this, in the class. 
I won best French student in the school year and I got higher than my sister's marks, uh, which was a big deal because I was always the worst student. Not, not a bad student, but I always got B's and C's. But in my last year, I got straight A's. Ours have been a journey. We haven't been perfect parents, but I always wanted the best for you and did all we could to provide it for you. She also writes, I always had an issue with fame being associated with ego and ego equals bad. Uh, I fight against this preconception, but it always takes its toll. And that's so is that her issue or your issue about ego? Uh, well, it sounds like it was her issue. both of our issues. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Because you yeah, and, do and, say that, don't you? Well, I, I, you know what? I led with that to her. So that the context was, hey, I'm, I'm doing a series with a psychologist talking about um, fame equal ego. And so it came about, you know, just why did I go see a child psychologist? And so I think she just added that in because I wrote that. Mm, so yeah. she had issues with fame and she associated with ego and ego equals bad. And she was into politics and she had um, a lot of criticism woman in politics and all this kind of stuff so uh yeah she eventually uh, stepped away yeah, yeah. I, I i heard you know what she said about we we weren't perfect parents and i wonder if that criticism was leveled at her as a politician um you know she should be at home with her kids kind of thing um i think a lot of women in leadership roles cop a bit of that um yeah, so I feel for her. I feel like your mum's had a big journey and obviously, you know, you've, you've been a big part of that too, obviously. Do you remember back to that school, the one where you ended up, do you remember that as a happier time? Do you remember it being a, you know, did you enjoy going to school? Or sort of yeah, a bit? I enjoyed a lot more. Um, I forgot about the whole election thing. That's true. Mm. I w that was a weird thing that I did that they just went along with. I remember being really involved in the sports. We had intramurals where like every morning, if you got in early, you would uh, play basketball or volleyball or something. And I, I went every day. That was fun. Um, still had my little group of, of friends. Um, wasn't part of any traditional, like the, we had the, the jocks and like the Athen, like the, you know, just the typical groups, the artsy people and the musicians. And I didn't have any of those. I just kind of made my own little group like I always did. But but yeah. now I can think of friends who became friends who, you know, we had some good memories with that I would recognize, you know, their picture. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, okay. And maybe that's just a function of getting older. But, but I, I had a lot of fun. I don't know that I ever really like super enjoyed it. I still felt the pressure of I need to I need to get better in my grades and it wasn't until my second basically my last year where my own expectations exceeded my parents expectations of me what pushed you I don't know I, you know final I, year. I was always expected to to get A's and that I was like a really Carmichael I could do anything that I wanted and and that I was capable of more and like we believe in you kind of thing and I'd be sitting there with usually by that point like b's b plus b minus i'm not failing i'm not i wasn't a bad student just never fully applied myself um and then in my last year i just i went i got straight 90s you know if i think about it just in speaking out loud in in your last year you get assigned a teacher yep. um who's who's your supposed to be a mentor or just you meet you meet once a week and before school for 20 minutes or whatever and 
my teacher was her, was, her name was Madame Farr. She was the French teacher. And so we connected because I was, French was super easy because I went to French immersion. And so we were covering stuff in my last year of high school that I already did in grade eight. So it was, it was, it was a no brainer. Like it was just such an easy class because I was just so far ahead. I was in grade 12. Uh, I was, I was ahead. Like I was, I was in grade nine taking like grade 12 French in the school. I was the youngest one in that class. Um, And so the teacher kind of looked out for me. And then when I got to grade 12, our graduating year, she became my, I forget what they called it, but my guide or my mentor or whatever. I don't even remember what we talked about. I just remember really liking it. (laughs) We would just sit down and talk in, in in the lounge and she'd ask me how I was and I'd talk to her and it was just nice. The only one thing I remember is she would, at, at the end of the year, she said that they, um, they often would look at the, they wanted people to get into university, yep. right? And so they would often like sometimes fudge scores for students no to way. put it higher. <laughs> maybe, maybe, she shouldn't, maybe she shouldn't say that to me. I don't know. Because the curriculum was, was harder. It was harder than the public school system. So they pushed us harder. So then they, they gave some allowances at the end that if, you know, they, I guess in their head, if you're getting a, a 75 at our school, it's like you got an 80 at another school. So they would, they would bump you up. But she said for me that I didn't, I didn't have to, they didn't bump me up in any of the courses. And so that made me feel good. Yeah. So maybe her belief in me, I don't know. I don't even remember talking about school or anything, but it was just, I remember, you know, warm conversations and feelings and I guess she must have said something that made me feel comfortable or at home. Um, our, so I remember my early years going to that school of just being accepted and, and be, having some weirdness, like having to bring popcorn to school and want to do my own weird stuff and they were accepting. And then eventually having friends and getting involved in sports and then having her as a guide. And uh, mm-hmm. yeah, so in my last year, I got straight 90s on my classes where that was a big thing for me because my older sister is borderline genius and in in her English class she got 89 or 88 she got straight 90s except for English and she got 89 or 88 and I got straight 90s on my last year so after my entire life of being you know the worst I actually ended up in my last year being the best um so I was oh, you a bit know, of a journey. Listening to you talk about it, I think you know a couple of things. I think that that opportunity for that special time with your guide in that final year obviously meant a lot to you at that time. And and you know, having having whether it's because it was an adult style conversation that you had with the teacher and being shown the respect of your maturity at that stage, I don't know. Um, but it, obviously, it it meant something. It stood out stood out right. in your memory. But now you're a dad. And going yeah. back, thinking about little Evan, how did it feel to you to read all this stuff about yourself at that age? I mean, it, it breaks my heart just to hear it. I mean, it, that, and you're a very empathic individual. Did you? How do you feel about about that little boy that you were having such a degree of anxiety that you were, you know, sitting under the tables and developing tics and, you know, so so distressed, I guess, by the environment that you were in. It was manifest in those ways. I mean, I feel more for my parents of all this. I feel their stress of, of caring about education so much and 
then all these schools and then you're, you know, you're losing my older brother and then uh, struggling and I'm not having success and, and just developing tics and how stressful that is for them to, I didn't realize any of that growing up. I didn't even feel that bad about myself or know really much what was going on. Or maybe I just forgot, you know, I don't know. Maybe I'm just glassing all over and, and it was actually terrible. <laughs> I don't know. But um, I don't feel, and reading this back, I just feel for my parents. I think if I looked at it as it wasn't me, if it was a, another boy, then maybe. But because it's me and I know I'm, I feel great. I don't, I don't have any, um, I don't feel bad or any feelings towards younger me. Um, but I feel bad for my parents. And then now I'm wondering, do I need to now write to my teacher and ask her what we talked about in those sessions? <laughs> if she remembers, you, uh, and if I can even find her. Because like, I'm curious, because I've, I've thought about that question for a while. Like, why did it all of a sudden become more important? Like, my parents wanted me on the dean's list, which meant that you got A's. And I went from having pretty much straight B's and maybe an A in gym class or something. And French always was easy yeah. to straight 90s. So it's like A plus. That's the first, that's the only thing that's ever come to mind that happened here. I never had an answer before. So mm. I don't know. Maybe I need to message her. I, she's not even at the school anymore. She retired. But I could probably track her down if you think it's important. You think it's important. This is the thing. Well, you know what? Like ideas... I believe ideas come to you for a reason. So idea to action, just do it. So I don't know how <laughs> I'm going to find her, but I, I'll find a way. I've got yeah. a bigger question. Okay. Why did you write to your mum instead of asking her over the phone or via Zoom or something like that? Why write to her to ask about that? So interesting. Is that so, a difficult conversation? No. So she actually responded and said, uh, I, how about we talk about this on the phone? Yep. And I, I said, I'd, I'd much rather have a written version of it. I was worried that I would taint the information that I, that like she would say it in a way that I would then interpret and then give to you. And so I wanted it in her, in her words. Cause if you wanted to go deeper, like I, yeah. I, I was summarizing cause this is a giant email. Yeah. But if you, if you were super curious about like, Ooh, like what word did she use here that, that I could give it to you in her voice? Mm -hmm. Okay. Because I was worried that I wouldn't uh, articulate it as as her voice. Which is amazing that you've got that document, but I'm interested about the whole perfectionist, Devon, okay. interfering with with your conversation with your mum. Okay. You wanted it perfect. So that we, talk, we talked before about how you would, given a task, you'll do it and you'll do it right. Okay. So there's this thing about doing it right and this conversation um which is you know yielded amazing information for you to think about of you know and will continue to think about you know obviously as a parent observing your child grow there might be times when you map some of your experiences against what you're observing and wondering as you see similar ages you know wonder what that felt like for me at that age or i wonder what you know my children would feel i often do that you know i wonder what my children would feel if they were going through this at that age so you can do that but the conversation was um, managed because it was email conversation. Oh, for sure. And yeah, 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 for sure. So would you put yeah. that as, I mean, it's a, it's a choice, right? I mean, yeah. having the conversation would make a more meaningful connection and allow for an opportunity yeah. to go deeper with my mom. Um, yeah. And you avoided that. But 
Uh, well, okay, well, maybe. I've made a conscious choice. I, I, know, mean, I, you, I know you're on tour, so you obviously there's time. No, you know, no, no, no I, could have made, I could have made time. I could have made time. Yeah. It was a conscious choice in that, okay, we can do this. I'm not going to talk to Tess for another month. Am I going to remember? I can write notes and try to remember, yeah. but I'd be summarizing. And I, I, I thought maybe making the, um, having the exact words would be more beneficial to this conversation. Okay. Okay. But, but maybe I'm, maybe I'm fooling myself. Maybe I'm afraid of hard conversations. I don't know. I could have talked to her yesterday, yeah. you know, and put it off until, so my memory's fresh. Um, but you need to be prepared. You know, you need to be prepared. This is the theme. You know, you've always got to be prepared. So if you say you're going to do something, you do it straight away so that you're organized and you're prepared and everything's ducks in a row. Whereas if you had, I wonder, if you had left it till the day before to just call your mum, that's a bit disorganized perhaps in your mind. Like that would be leaving it a little bit too much room for I mean, I could, it not happening. Like this teacher, I could go meet her. Mm -hmm. If you think that's better, like I don't, I don't mind. I'm the fear that I guess it costs in my head is that man, I'm not going to remember everything, and then I'm gonna, uh, I'm not going to summarize or. Why does that? Matter? Well, because I want to get help. I want to figure out like this point of this series is for me to unlock what I need to unlock, and I, I would prioritize you getting the information you need properly versus me having the, the moment or experience with the person that I'm talking to. So like I could go, if I go yeah. talk to my teacher and track her down and I don't know where she's at, but at least get out a phone call, I'm sure it'll be a really warm, wonderful, yeah. amazing moment. Yeah. Uh, and so wearing, weighing that versus I want you, Tess, to get what you need. Like I know when I'm helping people, I pay yeah. attention to the words that they use. You know, I pay attention to the context and like repeat that back. Like what exactly did they say? And you can read between the lines and you get, some, you, you know, you have pattern recognition, you're pulling out stuff that I'm not seeing. And so I wanted it, mm. if I'm perfect, like I wanted you to get what you need to help me get what I need. Uh, and I'll cheat myself of a, of a moment, yeah. you know, short term to, to be able to do that. Yeah. But maybe right. I made the wrong call. So, like maybe the experience okay. would be better than, yeah. There's no, there's no better. It's just a, it's a, it's an observation. That yeah. was the first question. As soon, the very minute you said, I'm just going to read out this thing from my mum, the very yeah. first question in my head was, why, why was this in writing? So yeah. I asked the question and now I know. I would also say to you what's really important sometimes when you think about gathering that information and you think about uh, getting it right and getting it detailed. And I mm -hmm. have the, the same thing happens. I have this conversation a lot with clients of mine who are wanting to give me um, like piles of paper for me to read ahead of working with them on whatever issue it might be and I'll say to them I want to have a conversation with you I don't want to read that I want to have a conversation with you mm. because what comes out of your memory what comes out of your interpretation of events is is a big part of the color of your experience so you might have a conversation with someone whether it's your mom or your teacher whoever and it's what you've paid the most attention to at the time is what's going to be encoded most clearly sure. in your memory and that's going to be the stuff that you repeat later because that's what you've remembered best about that conversation that's meaningful yep. even if there was something that was some other bombshell for this other person to relate to you but you've not remembered it it means it hasn't meant that much to you i really like that you use the word you robbed yourself of an experience by trying to be correct or prepared or right or whatever in terms of how to present this conversation to me yeah, it's not really about that. It's yeah. interesting you said that because I, I, 
wanted to have a conversation with you to see where yeah. we pause and where we, because I didn't send it. I've, I've had this email for a month. Yeah, I didn't right. just send it to you. Yeah. You know, and, and I trust you. Like, I, if you want, I can send it to hear it in her words and maybe something comes out. But I didn't want to just send it to you and then yeah. talk about it. I wanted to talk about it through because I yeah. was hoping something would come out in your genuine reaction. I like the lack of preparedness. Like, I like seeing your genuine reaction and then like, oh, stop there and let's go deeper. <laughs> yeah. So that's why I didn't yeah. send it to you in advance. Yeah. And that's exactly why I do that with clients. Yeah. I'll say to them that, you know, what jumps out at me in the moment that we're talking is often more meaningful than typed words on a page that still might tell me a terribly sad or traumatic or whatever story or event, but it's the interpersonal stuff that's often more salient. Mm-hmm. Or you, you would find that with your clients. You would find that, that no matter how well you prepare, it's, what, it's, the, it's the person-to-person that you get a better reading because you're very empathic. We've talked about that before. You get mm-hmm. a better reading of who they are, where they're at and what they need next by talking to them and seeing how they react to some of the stuff that you say. You talk a lot about fear, other people's fear of not, um, you know, when they don't take action, that often it's fear that's stopping them and that that's not a good enough excuse. You know, you've got to work through that. But you need to be able to see the fear on their face to to identify that in the first place. That's hard to tell in writing, yeah? Yeah. So, yeah, you you didn't do your homework wrong. You're not in trouble. (laughs) But it's it's an interesting conversation to me that this took place in writing yeah I didn't realize your mum had a big profile as well and I and I wonder how that um you know, that plus the preparedness the tutor prey okay coming back to that yeah that always being ready always being prepared how much of your mum's profile made that a necessity as well growing up I mean I think my mom had it felt like she had a lot to prove to mm. one to her family of being an Italian woman of that era you know your role was different than what she wanted to go off and do and so she had to prove herself in many different arenas and got a lot of criticism uh along the way and and accomplished all the things that that a lot of people never did so Mm -hmm. even even coming to canada she lost her accent and she speaks fluent italian but like really focused on losing being able to speak english Mm -hmm. with a perfect you wouldn't know she wasn't born in 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 north america Uh, so always having something to prove always you know trying to make sure that because the things the odds were maybe stacked against her she she had to fight to rise up and that's tough you know that's that's a lot that's a lot to have to push against your whole life your whole adult life and then of course being a parent as well and having the emotional pull yeah and and you know the worry obviously she had a lot of worry um around all of that to worry for you as well yeah and then my dad was just the nicest human of all time uh mm-hmm. and not the most like ambitious or career or business driven person but you know supporting my mom and everything she did and just humility and humbleness and comical toujours pray comes from his side and yeah. he's still always ready but but more like always early for ah you know what let me see if i can find something because he wrote back to that message too so my mom wrote the thing, the giant, right, like huge yeah, thing. Yeah. So yeah. he followed up and said he wanted to add one more thing that he thought would be relevant. He never went after fame um, and he never did anything that where he would try to go off and get fame. He wanted to have a career in government. You focused on being a civil servant and your focus is on serving the public. 
and trying to improve the standards and services and helping others and not seeking fame, he puts in quotes, for yourself, but about um, serving the people. He thinks it's hard for people, anybody to really name any public public servant, no matter how well they know, because you just don't know yeah. who the public servants are. Yeah. So lived in a culture where personal fame was not even something that you thought about uh, and certainly not something that people would try to go off and achieve. Mm-hmm. Uh, and he's talking about, while well, my mom achieved a lot of recognition in the public life. She never actually went after fame. She was just trying to achieve social objectives, right the wrongs, but the driving force wasn't fame or recognition. It was just to get the job done. And then uh, he says, I'm not sure if our perception of fame influenced you, but it might have, so it might be something you need to think about. Hope that helps. So what do you so, think I about mean, that? Well, uh, I think they, I mean, th- they care, right? I mean, they yeah. care. They, I've never actually heard my dad talk about, uh, I knew he was in the government for forever and then, and then retired and started consulting for the government. But the idea of service and uh, why he got into it, I never asked why he became a civil servant. So that was interesting. And, and they still want, you know, I wrote that email saying, you know, I want to be famous or I should be famous, but I'm afraid to be famous ego and all that stuff. And so, you know, they don't want their opinions and views to affect me and my goals when I'm chasing after. So, I mean, it's all love, right? Is what I, I mean. Yeah. And it, and it almost sounds like an apology too. Yeah. Let us hold you back and we're sorry if we have. Yeah. Beautiful. Yeah, and, and I mean, and taking the mm. extra time to write that as an addition to what mm. she wrote, and, and that just speaks to both my parents, right? Like very careful, mm. very considerate, wanting their kids to win, acknowledging that they don't have all the answers, apologizing if they feel like we they made a mistake. Mm. Um, the humbleness is my parents, you know. It's, yeah, it's, that's what they are. They sound like lovely people and strong, morally strong. Yeah, you know, they've given you that foundation. And that's such a rock solid foundation. And, you know, obviously this also ties into you have, you know, this great sense of of empathy for other people, but they clearly do as well. You know, they've taught you to be um, considerate of other people and to think about things from the perspective of others. And because they demonstrated that to you your whole life, they've been looking at looking through your eyes and always trying their best to be one step ahead of your needs. So that you you were supported and loved and able to flourish and you know achieve those nineties in year twelve mm-hmm. and and yeah and continue to flourish beyond. Um, did you go to university? I don't know if I know this. Yeah, I went to university. It was it was expected. Uh, my mom yeah. was the was the chair of the university at the time uh, that I was there, and and she was the first woman chair, and so. It used to always be chairman, and she said, "I'm not a chairman. I'm I'm a chair, and not a chairwoman, just chair." Yeah. So she changed that. <laughs> That's my mom. Uh, <laughs> I love it. And her. so, yeah, right. It, so it was it was expected <laughs> that we went to university. Um, yeah. My sisters were okay with it, but didn't weren't huge fans. Um, also, wanted us to you know, stay at home and not go to dorm rooms and whatever. And my sisters wanted to go and live on campus. I was like, I'm fine. Great. Laundry meals. I'll go. You know, I didn't know what I wanted to do fully. I thought I wanted to be a banker. 
So, but then I became an entrepreneur really when I was in university. Uh, I actually ended up getting the least education of anybody in my family. Both my sisters went off to get bachelors. Um, my mom has at least one PhD, maybe two. My dad had a bachelor and I think he went on to do masters. So I just did bachelors. Yep. Um, and then I became an entrepreneur. But, yeah. but I went to university. Um, it, was, it was a decent experience. You know, um, it didn't really help me that much to be an entrepreneur. But at the time, I didn't know that I wanted to be an entrepreneur 100% anyway. So I don't mm-hmm. regret that I went to school. We went yeah. and then, and then my, both my sisters went off and did crazy things around the world. And I was the only one who stayed home and lived in Toronto my whole mm-hmm. life. Even though I've traveled a bunch. But yeah, mm-hmm. my sisters went and did crazy things. And I much of I'm a weird duck, mm-hmm. like they're the ones off doing weird stuff. I love my parents. Like I never had major issues with my parents. I know my sisters had some growing up. I always, mm-hmm. I was happy staying home to university. I was happy staying in Toronto and being close to them, mm-hmm. but I'm probably also the least like, uh, I don't, I don't have a need for them. I don't know. Like I'm not, I'm not, uh, I don't call on birthdays or, you know, so I don't know. I don't know where that goes. I'm rambling. <laughs> well, that's okay. You're allowed to. Um, I just, I, maybe it's that thing of when you feel so secure in a relationship, you're allowed to neglect it a bit, for want of a better word. My mom was the glue in our family. And then it would probably be my younger sister who's, who's the glue in our family. And in, in, yeah. in, like my wife is the glue in her family who would, yeah. who would make things happen. If it was just me and my dad and my older sister, Mm. I don't know. We mean like it'd be so long between connecting, not out of neglect or anything, just we just don't think about it. Yeah. So my mom is the glue and my younger sister is the glue. What did we learn and where do we go? So we know where this weird feeling comes from because you had a really full on experience as, as a child of intense anxiety and a little bit of a loner and not quite fitting in for a while anyway. Feeling very different. And it being made known to your school that you had needs that were different to other kids. And, you know, I, I, I think back to aspects of my own childhood where I had periods of time in my life where I felt like that. And it was very much like feeling a little bit like an alien amongst humans. Like you just sort of feel like you're just not the same as everybody else and you can't put your finger on it. So this sense of being weird, and I know you call yourself a weird duck, um, you know, obviously it comes right back to that stuff. But there is something different about you. You know, all through your life, there's been something different about you. You know, kids don't do year 12 French when they're in year nine. (laughs) When there's just, you know, one example, you know, and your expectations, the family expectations about going to university. And yeah, you went, but completely turned it on its head in terms of the outcome of that education. You've just gone off and done completely the opposite. I think there is something there about, avoiding conversations or avoiding those emotional interactions in favor of getting the thing right I don't know if that's a theme that you can find other examples of doing that maybe that's your homework is to think about are there other times in my life when I've avoided an interaction or or a moment or an experience in favor of doing what I've what meeting the expectations I've put on myself to do it right in whatever term that means I don't know I don't know it's something for you to think about um because that speaks to that perfectionism and that's I think there's a little thread that also goes back to your schooling as well you know something clicked and you just decided to pull out all the stops in year 12 and pull the goods and you did there were a lot of expectations I think your 
family is an amazing family, but there were a lot of expectations on achievement, which meant also getting things right and doing things properly and being prepared. So I just wonder about that. I'm going to leave that as that, a wondering. I don't have a strong statement to make about it right now, right now but it's a wondering that I have around that, whether that interferes with the richness of interaction sometimes with others. I mean, definitely. Uh, um, I lost a $40 million deal when I was 21, 22 because of being a perfectionist. Right. And as a result, that, that's later on, right? We're talking yeah. that's in university, in, uh, out of university, almost, yeah. maybe last year. But ever since that, like that scarred me. And so I've purposely jumped into messy things just starting just to go and not be perfect and release imperfect YouTube videos and mm -hmm. this like phone not working and great. Like it's the best. Mm -hmm. That's where it anyway. it's the best yeah. to come from, right? Like it's the yeah. best negative situation, not perfect. Yeah. It's the best. So yeah. um, that definitely was a piece of me that, that maybe still haunts, but I try to attack it when I feel, at least when I can catch it, maybe subconsciously it's like this massive thing that is, holding everything back yeah. but uh when i consciously catch it i've really trained myself to i need yeah. to do it i need to release it like i need to release imperfect things um when i can consciously catch it yeah i think so because that what i took from what you're saying before about about the conversation with your mum and the decision to put have it in writing was that you'd made an assumption about what was going to be right in my eyes and what was going to be useful in, to me Sure. Um, and I hadn't, I hadn't given you that much guidance. I just said, go, go ask your parents, yep. <laughs> go ask them what happened. Um, and I, and I, I wonder if that, if that innate perfectionism or that, um, in, you know, that core perfectionism that's in there somewhere, that that's your go-to place when, when you're not sure of what the outcome is meant to be. Like perhaps there's an assumption that there is a right way to do things and that there is a right outcome. For a certain situation and that's when perhaps that's what triggers the approach i made an assumption that you would want to have the exact words mm. and maybe what was more important was mm. my reaction and emotion to hearing it um yeah. I, I so my mom wrote to say do you want to call me it might be easier and faster mm. and i wrote written is actually better so i don't forget yeah. and it doesn't have to be rushed not yeah. super urgent because I knew she'd get it done within like the month because we're yeah. a month between. So yeah, written is actually better. So I don't forget was my, yeah. was my thinking at I, the time. Yeah. I like being able to go back to it and it's like, huh? So I can learn from it. Cause the memories like, you know, I, I had my son write a letter to himself this past summer of how you should parent a, t uh, a nine year old. I'm going <laughs> to give it to him when he has a nine year old. <laughs> That's right? cruel. <laughs> because I remember, I remember writing a letter to myself. I was so upset at my parents when I was like maybe that age or twelve. I don't know. And I was so upset at my parents, and I wrote a letter of how you should parent yeah. someone who's my age. And then I lost it. And I'm like, I, I, I'm upset that I lost it because I, w I would be curious to see what was in the head of nine year old or twelve year old Evan. So then I made my son do it. And so Have then, you learned anything? Have you learned anything from what he told you? Oh, it's hilarious. Has he done it's it yet? Like, not really. You know, it's, okay. you know, you should just do what your son wants you to do. Like if he wants yeah. lots of candy, you should give him candy and <laughs> that kind of stuff. It's more funny than anything else. Yeah. But um, yeah. Yeah. I mean, I made a judgment call. Maybe the right one, maybe the wrong one. There's no right or wrong. So I'm just, I'm just 
you know, curious about the decision that, that not to speak directly, and we've talked about that, and curious about what your reaction uh, might have been like if it was, you know, a to and fro conversation and where that might have led, and curious about, I think it's great that you've got it in writing. I think that's really a lovely thing for you to keep. Um, but I'm curious about what, now that I know what the full story is, it would have been interesting to know what you had retained. Obviously, I wouldn't necessarily then still know the whole story, but that's not, it's not about me. I'm trying to sell It's about the experience for you. If I wanted an outcome. Are you? Really? What? <laughs> what? You're really right? going there? You're trying to self-diagnose? Right? Oh, Evan. No, because I, I love conversations, right? So yeah. if, if I'm trying trying to help somebody, I would much rather do, that's why I love video calls more than answering text questions, because it's always four levels deep that you actually get the answer. Yeah. So I, 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 if somebody on my team is like, hey, I have a problem with this, okay, let's hop on a call and let's figure this out, as opposed to doing it all written. So I would normally default to having a conversation. I felt her words, you might see something in her words that I missed. So it was more about the outcome than what it might have meant for you. Like you put a lower priority on what that conversation might have been like for you to have with her yeah yeah like i put zero priority on it yeah so why it's didn't like, it mean something to you you know what i wasn't expecting such an emotional reaction to be honest and maybe i maybe that was my bad like i probably should have i mean obviously it's some crazy thing of me going to child psychologists like it must have been stressful for you i think it's because for me it wasn't a big deal yeah. And so I didn't make it a big deal and I didn't respect their emotions around it. Mm. Um, and even when she, when she responded, she said, do you want to call me? It might be faster and easier. Not like this yeah. is an important topic. Ordinarily you'd go to the call first. Like ordinarily that would be you go to, it's easier than you just said that yourself. Yeah. yeah. That you'd go to a video call. But yeah. this, this topic with this particular person you wanted to keep quarantine. You wanted to keep it separate and proper and right and correct. I underestimated the emotional mm. significance of it. Maybe it's the whole smokescreen and I'm just deeply afraid of this and this is like the greatest thing of all time. But that's all I could think of is that Tess is going to see something that I'm going to miss and so yeah. I want to get it written down. You know I'm not a mind reader or magic, right? I see it through how I would have wanted to receive yeah. it. Definitely. I would much rather have it from the person because I would read it... Yeah. Part of this is seeing what I don't see. Yeah. You see stuff yeah, that I okay, don't see. Yeah, okay, yeah. Yeah, and we've, so, yeah, we've talked about that before too. I think that's true that when, you know, being me being not emotionally involved, um, sometimes, yes, I can reflect things back to you that you might have overlooked. And that's, I think that's where this conversation is quite interesting. And you've talked about underestimating the emotional impact, but you haven't specified on whom. So are you talking about the emotional impact on your parents to talk about that stuff? I'm curious about the emotional impact on you to talk about that. Uh, going in zero. Like, mm -hmm. this wasn't a big deal for me, so it shouldn't be a big deal for you. <laughs> I just didn't think about it. I didn't think it shouldn't be a big issue for them. It just didn't register, <laughs> right? Like, yeah. even going yep. to this, like, I'm not nervous to be on here. I don't think you're nervous to be on here. But maybe, like, you're sweating bullets being on here. I'm not getting the signs, right? So, no. so maybe I'm, maybe, and I'm usually good at that stuff. Like I'm, I like, yeah. I am empathic. So, but I, I mess up, right? So, I didn't think it would be a big deal. And in the first response, it didn't feel like a big deal because it just seemed easier and faster, more yeah. tactical. 
talk, talk on the phone than, than it being a big thing. And then, then the flood came in. Um, and then my dad chose to follow up with his own take on it. And so, and then you asked, how do I feel? I don't feel anything for young Evan. I feel for my parents and yeah, okay. gratitude and humbleness and, um, uh, like, man, what they went through having to deal with the situation. So have you talked to them since getting the email about it? I haven't talked to them since. Okay. Yeah. I mean, we went back and forth on email a little bit. I thank them. Mm-hmm. Um, really appreciate the time. I appreciate you in it. Thank you for everything. I've always thought, I, I always thought I had a great childhood and it wouldn't change a thing. Mm-hmm. I told them I didn't want them feeling, I guess, felt the same kind of uh, yeah. apology kind of tone. So I told them I always thought I had a great child and wouldn't change a thing. I've sent them like updates yeah. on the tour and pictures and yeah. gratitude. And like we had a picture of believe somewhere at one of our Airbnbs and I took it and showed it to my mom and said like, you always made me believe in myself and that kind mm-hmm. of stuff. But, but I've also, I don't, I don't know. I don't talk to my parents. Like I've never called my parents just to say, Hey, how you doing? Mm-hmm. Okay. I mean, it could, it could be homework, I guess, but um it just hasn't, but I don't do that with anybody either, right? Like I would never call you, Tess, and say, hey, Tess, what's up? <laughs> if you call me and say, hey, what's up, I'll know to worry about it. Right, there that. you go. <laughs> <laughs> I think, yeah, it's interesting, isn't it? You know, when we've got, a, we've got a, like a junction point here where you're kind of now at a stop sign saying, well, so what's my communication with my parents normally like? And this thing that's actually been quite emotional for them to process or to relive or whatever um hasn't really touched the sides emotionally with you because as an adult it doesn't seem to you don't feel an emotional connection to that time Mm. um that's not uncommon for kids right to go through difficult things in life and to have factual memories i'm the same you know i have very factual memories of stuff that i went through as a kid and i don't really i don't have a connection to the emotion of that i think um you know looking now at how this communication unfolded and the weight of it for your parents it's um an interesting thing now to stop and say okay so how do I normally talk with my parents and and what does that mean for you and there's no I don't have answers these aren't questions with answers these are just you know reflections on where you're at now in that relationship and um you know they're obviously such important figures and the way you do your relationship with your parents is what works for you and your parents you know there's no right way to do that relationship but reflecting on that you know is there does it bring anything for you that I don't know, does it relate to other relationships? Does it relate to how you do business? Does it relate to, you know, your journey as an entrepreneur? I don't know. Might uh, for you. Does what relate? Like, does my relationship with my parents? How you communicate when there's emotional stuff, when there's big things, you know, yeah. How I communicate with my parents, does it impact my communication? Not with just your parents, not just your parents, your right. parents but in well, terms I'm, of other examples that are coming to mind where, perhaps the communication isn't or the communication style isn't necessarily fitting the occasion well what do you think about this i mean we're communicating oh. what is this how to self analyze <laughs> me with you i mean we've had i don't know yeah. three chats yeah um are there patterns i don't know <laughs> i'm open let me know you know there are walls we've talked about that you know there's this there's this safety shield that you carry we talked last time about the empathy and how there's a protective shield that you carry because you're so empathic. And so sometimes you shut off access to that because it protects you. Okay. I'm not going to relate that to your relationship with your parents because I, I, I don't think that's necessarily the issue. 
but I just, you know, there's again, looking for themes, looking for threads that are, that are coming through of what impacts your relationship with others, your relationship to your clients. I know last time we talked a little bit about some of that and your relationship to yourself as, you know, the entrepreneur pushing for 10 million. Yeah, I, I think there's there's a whole lot of, there are some barriers there. There's some shields there. Doesn't mean there's anything wrong with you, Evan. No, <laughs> that's things, great. No, these that, are the I, things that I'm noticing. No, no, no. Like, in listening, I wanted to say, dude. <laughs> when I get excited, <laughs> I, I say, don't mind. You can call me. <laughs> when you say that, like, there's shields and barriers, and in, in, uh, that removing that helps me get to the next. I'm pumped. Like, let's attack it. What is it? What's my homework? I want yeah. to destroy that thing. Let's dive in. What's my assignment? Like, I'm excited. It's not that I'm, it's the opposite of like, I don't feel bad about myself. I feel this is amazing. And, and we're about to make a breakthrough. And so like, what do I have to do next? <laughs> so I want you recognizing these shields when they pop up. Like, I'd, I'd love it if you're able to uh, recognize when you're doing something self-protective and give yourself even just a little moment, a little moment of a pause say well am I going to act in a self-protective manner here that is not in the best interest of this relationship or this situation or the outcome that I actually want I mean I don't know much about the deal that you lost through being a perfectionist but again that's a self-protective mechanism perfectionism is just a form of anxiety when we're in anxiety our brain is driven to protect us and so then the consequential behaviors that come out of that are self-protective behaviors they just can sometimes actually sabotage what we're trying to achieve i think where you sense some kind of um pushback or you sense that your shields are coming up or you sense that there's an emotion that you're trying to manage these are going to be like physiological signs whether it's an anxiety feeling or an emotional feeling or okay. something that you that you are then having to suppress suppress or manage okay. manage uh, maybe maybe documenting those like maybe just keeping a little diary like it only needs to be a little notebook where, okay so today i was in this situation and this feeling came up and i had to squash that down because whatever the reason um but buying time or in time being able to recognize those moments as they come and looking for patterns because i can't tell you what they are now because we haven't got the evidence like we haven't got the data so looking for patterns of those times when you squash down, <laughs> is that a hard ask for you, Evan? Because that was a really physical response. To oh, <laughs> I'm struggling. Like I'm, tr I want to, I want to do my homework. I want to crush this thing. I want to, I want to break the. I'm struggling to think when. I'm trying to come up with an example. Like I want to. Yeah, so I you're not wanting it. to. Um, you're not wanting to do your homework. You're wanting to have done your homework. You want to give me the answers now. This is something that you have to go away and gather over the next. Month. I hear you. No, no, no I hear you. Yeah. hundred percent. Um, yeah. and, and I'm sure I do it. I just, yeah. it's making it, making the subconscious conscious. Yeah. Knowing I'm yes. trying to think, yes. when did I and actually that's, do that's it? So I can catch it again. I would say not worry so much about when you've done it before so you can catch it again. I think, I think the decision to put your communication with your parents in writing might be one example of where you've um, you've wanted to keep it sanitized so that it's right because the okay. the outcome you imagined you know um, so you've kept all the emotions out of it by making it written and what do you want my response to be so like I could probably think of like if I get stressed out I'll yeah. I'll internalize I'll manage it for sure and then I'll try to figure out a solution before I'll ever talk to my wife or say anything about it 
You're trying to be ahead of yourself. What do you well, want I, me to do? You want me to make a video? Like I'm stressed out. Like I deleted four YouTube videos from my channel accidentally. And one of them was a big one. Like it's got almost a million views. Deleted, gone. Like, oh my God, I can't believe I deleted it. I thought I was moving from a playlist, but I actually deleted the video. I'm I'm pissed and I'm suddenly moving to like, what can I do? Who can I call? Like call my channel manager, yep. talk to YouTube support, email them, right? Like I'm on it. And until I do that, I'm not able to have a conversation with anybody about anything, right? Like yep. I'm, yep. I got, I got to get that done. So is that like managing my emotion? Is that what you're talking about? No, that's managing a situation. And I think that's uh, probably a fair response. But that's what I'm like, I'll like be that. stressed out. And if Nina comes and yeah. talks to me, I'll be like, I can't talk right now. And I'll probably be rude and cut her off and be like, I can't talk right now. I, I, I got to deal with it. And I won't tell her what's happening. Because in my head, it's the only thing I can think about until it's done, yeah. or at least as far as I can take it. And then I can have a conversation like, oh, man, I deleted – I'm so stupid. I deleted four yeah. videos from my channel, and then we'll talk about it. But in the moment, I can't even process anything else until I've moved that thing as far as I can. Yeah. But that's not what you're talking about? No, because that's, that's managing – that's crisis management. So that's still task-oriented. Okay. That's not emotion-focused. That's an appropriate reaction to a stressful event. Okay. Yeah? I'm thinking more about when your your um your automatic emotional response is is um having to be managed in a way that is preventing you from going down the emotion road so you can keep it sanitary. What kind of emotion? Ah, so no, having look. a conversation with your mum. So you might be you might you might be feeling that it's going to get I wonder if you felt in advance that it might get emotional and you didn't want that in, in the way. What, what emotion? Because like, stress isn't the thing. So what, what's the emotion that well, I'm afraid of? Well, stress could be the thing. Stress could be the thing. If you're worried about something and you need to, say, communicate with Nina or, or whoever about it and you get sanitized, you get sanitary in how you manage it rather than, being in the feelings that you're feeling and saying, okay, I'm feeling really stressed about this. It's safe and it's okay. Nothing's going to, no one's going to die just because I feel stressed or sad or angry or bored or frustrated. You know, those emotions, allowing yourself to have those and then, and then connecting with the person at the center of that. I, maybe, maybe talk, maybe having a sit with Nina and, and saying, okay, what does this mean to her? Like, are there examples she can bring you? Of where you sh where you bring the shields up and get all sanitary. That's not stress related. But it can be. It well, can that be. that would be that's a classic example. Like yeah. I get stressed out about yeah. something. There's yeah. a problem yeah. happened in my business. I can't talk about anything until I finish that thing. Yeah. And I, and I'll probably be rude and in in short, yeah. uh, not offensive, not like get out of my face, you suck. But but like <laughs> yeah. short and rude. Like I need to do this right now. Don't talk right now. I got to do this. Right, and well, and it's something about I, the, the example of the communication with your mum. That was between you and your mum. So it wasn't some other event that you're trying to manage, and you're shutting your mum out while you manage this other event. It was the event was the communication with your mum, and you shut down the emotions and went all sanitary on that communication, and uh, and didn't pick up on. And normally you're really empathic, you know. We keep coming back to that, but you didn't even access what it was going to feel like for her. To go so through maybe, that. maybe I'm trying to lobotomize, but and I don't want to. I'm just trying to like <laughs> come home with something tactical yeah, that I can apply. Yeah. Like okay. if it's a feeling of something, like an emotion. It's like okay, the next time I'm feeling this emotion, oh, oh. <laughs> am I managing it or am I feeling it? Now I have something to like, Nina, 
can you come here for a second, please? Update. We need your feedback. So Tess is trying to help me understand and see if I explain this properly. When I should be feeling an emotion and I manage it and I don't feel it and, and do the, like a safe thing or a, a clean thing or not do the, not do the emotional messy work. So the shields go up, shields. get self-protective and goes, instead of accessing emotions that could perhaps facilitate a better experience. So, you know, the letter with your mom as opposed to a conversation with your mom, the letter was safer. The, the letter kept the emotion out of the situation. You kept it all sanitary. Whereas in a conversation might've gotten emotional and messy because you're not, so empathic. So not being willing to have emotional conversation or feel emotions around something not having an emotional so, conversation. So not saying yeah. you do it all the time. Not saying you do it all the time. No, no that's fine. Wondering, that's fine. wondering, wondering if that tendency to bring the shields up and be self-protective gets in the way sometimes in other examples, whether there are other examples. And you might find that you can detect a pattern going forward of when that happens. We right. can't predict what it's going to be, Evan, because you need to spend time well, observing the context point because she's with me, you know, especially now 24 seven, if I'm stressed, I don't want to talk to anybody. Like I got to get yeah, this stuff done yeah, and, yeah, and yeah. I'll, 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 I won't talk to you. I won't yeah. tell you, but I'll have to tell you after and explain yeah. it. But in the moment, like I don't want to deal with it, yeah. but, but that's not a good example for her. Better some... example okay. would be YouTube. Talking, you know, if there's a situation oh, between the two, not YouTube, not YouTube, you too. Okay. Um, if there's a situation between the two yeah. of you. Okay. So, so, so that's YouTube. why you're here. So and what so do you think? When, when the shields might come up and it might be frustrating for Nina because she can't get through that shield, that, that self-protection shield sometimes that happens in relationships, you know. <laughs> so you want to get through to me on an emotion issue and I, I'm, I don't want to talk about it. I put up a shield. Well, cause like, well, when, when I know that you're frustrated, I'm automatically, I'm away. I, I won't even talk to you. But because not that. Because I know if I, if I talk to you, you get upset. Right. And I don't want to deal with that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But, no, but that's not it. But that, but we, like, something else. Besides me being stressed out about something and focused and I don't want to talk. Anything else? Let me simplify. Let's go back. Because I think you're still trying to find the right example to pin this on so that there's one right example and there's not going to be one right example. What you're going to start to recognize is unpleasant emotions creating a sense of a need to escape from them. So noticing when you're feeling uncomfortable with an emotional response that you're having to something, anything, any emotion that you feel is intolerable to you that you're then wanting to shut down so that you can get the job done or get the conversation finished or, or whatever it might be. So this is something you have to, <laughs> Evan, you have to observe yeah. over the next month. What? Don't really? Get Nina. Nina can't you got observe nothing? for you. I, 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 don't, I don't know. I'm trying to think when, we're, when we get in a fight. Yeah. Yeah. When we get into a fight. Okay. This is good. This is good. We're going to fight. Juicy. Mm -hmm. Before we fought a lot. Okay. Because I think it's more, more it's like I don't want to talk about it. Okay. And you're trying to dig it out from me. I, I want to I talk about it. She doesn't want to talk. You have issues, Nina. You got to talk to Tess. <laughs> I want to talk about it. No, that's not a good example. It's what no, I don't want to talk about. It is. It's a it good is. example. I wonder if that shield, the emotional shield has come up and you've gone into task solution mode. So Nina might be in emotion, uh -huh. in whatever anger or frustration or whatever uh -huh. emotion that Nina's in. Yeah. And you've switched that off. I'm wondering. I'm not there, so I don't know. 
But I wonder if you've managed to switch that off so that you can go to task solution and you're not, and, and that, can, that can make it worse for Nina because you're not meeting her emotionally. You're trying to fix the problem or make it a conversation rather or make it a, Let's get into a fight. Like, a, like a meeting. Yeah. Let's get into a fight. You know. You suck. <laughs> when was the last fight we had? It's been a long time. But I want to talk about it, and yeah. and she shuts down. Uh, but did I cause the? You're saying I might have caused the shutdown. I, I'm not. I'm not saying that. I'm, not, I'm wondering if you, in those moments you're noticing that similar tendency to close down the emotional side of the interaction, like you did with your mum's letter. You closed down the emotional side of the interaction and made it very task focused. And I'm wondering whether, you know, any, whether that happens in other examples that we can talk about that can help you burst through your 10 million. Because I know that some of the stuff that we get talk, talking about and Hank talks about and Steve talks about too is this sense of feeling real, of you feeling real and feeling a real connection to, you know, the one person that you're talking to when you're doing your videos and all the rest of it. And, oh, and you, oh. your videos are great. Everyone loves your videos. But that's like the next level yeah, of your of communication. Course. Yeah. So if we're going to talk next level of communication, we might as well talk about how your communication works now and looking for any evidence of where you can up your game communication wise with anyone looking at opportunities where the communication has been interesting, like with your mum. So looking for evidence of other examples where you do that, where you shut them, where you remove almost like you surgically remove the emotion from the situation so that you can just get to the end result which could be solution focused it could be survival focused or it could be necessary obviously when it's staff issues sometimes we have to get like that but whether it's at the cost of an enriching experience for you that could have gone better if it was richer or differently if it was richer so let the dust settle on the conversation think about looking for those signs of think a bit more about the communication with your mum about that letter and think about that shield that may have been there to keep it sanitary and safe in that communication and then notice when that pops up again because we've got a month before we're going to talk about it. there's bound to be oh, another example where that's popping up. so much I'm, I'm feeling the emotion of stress and i'm not managing it very you see very well. this is this right. is yeah I'm, good good uh, i'm not happy uh <laughs> My leg is jumping like, right yeah, now. Shaking the I'm shaking the whole chair. I'm feeling because it. Because there's no right mind. answer. Because there's no right answer and there's no black or white task for you to go off and do. This is experiential. And so it's vague and deliberately vague because it's pushing your perfectionist buttons. See how mean I am? <laughs> no, I, I, I like it. I just feel like I have no compass. I don't know what I'm doing. And, I, and okay. I feel like I'm going to give you nothing next next month. Like I spent a if, month. If that's what happens, that's what happens. And then maybe we need to talk about it some more. Okay. At the moment, I'm being very deliberately vague yeah. because I want you to observe what happens. I want you okay. to just notice what goes on between now and when I see you next and looking for things that remind you of the subconscious decision to remove the emotion from the conversation with your mum. Where else does that come up? You. surgically removing emotions <laughs> to focus on results that sounds really intense when you say it like that <laughs> that's what you said isn't that what you said <laughs> probably <laughs> that's very intense 
Okay, so you focus on it too. We're both teamwork. It's your job. It's your work. Happy wife, happy life. That doesn't make any sense. You can't delegate this. You can't delegate this. It's not. It's teamwork, not delegation. No, no, no. no that's teamwork makes a dream work. That's what it is. Teamwork makes. I finally got it. My third one. Okay. So. It feels hard because it is hard. I'd be more worried if it didn't feel hard. I like well, hard. So you're 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 hitting me with like the best and the worst. I love yeah, hard. Yeah. I don't like vague. Listen, I'll do it. I'll do I'll do homework. So I'll do it. Put your scientist yeah. hat on. You're being a data gatherer now. You're collecting yeah. data of, on your own emotional experience and looking out for those shields popping up. Something that's self-protective and shutting down emotion. Why? Where? Where does it happen? Why does it happen? And just noticing. Don't judge it. Don't try and find the answers. Don't try and think about what's right and wrong. Yeah. Just noticing. And just keep a little notebook. That's all. Once you get started, once you get started, it will feel less vague. I promise. Okay. Well, I, I appreciate your uh, patience and guidance and uh, handling the this when it's... <laughs> you probably had this very clear thing in your head and like, I have no idea what's happening right now. but. Emotions we'll are messy things. That's why it feels messy. It feels messy because emotions are. Messy is good. That's okay. Let's get messy. They're good. Embrace the messy. Embrace the messy. Cool. If you want to see my agent Steve push me to get to 10 million subscribers and help me build a YouTube course, click the link right there next to me. I think you'll enjoy it. Continue to believe and I'll see you there.